0: Praise the, Praise the Lord. Amen. So good to see everyone here this morning. Amen. A little chilly, warm in here. Praise God. Let's all stand. If you didn't hear Bob this morning, Brother Parker's back. <laughs> if you didn't hear that ask me about it later. (laughs) Amen. So good that everyone's here. Now that everyone's back, we're going to get into the Christmas season. You guys are going to leave again. Amen. But I'll be here waiting for you to come back. (laughs) Amen. No, it's good. It's good that we can get out, spend time with family and friends. Amen. That's a good thing. And we need to avail ourselves of every opportunity. Praise God. Let's pray for our service this morning. There are a lot of needs uh, that we have been praying for. Remember as many of those as you can. Specific needs uh, to you. Remember them. Uh, God has great things in store for us today. According to His perfect will, according to our desperate need today. Amen. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. You're a mighty King. We heap glory and honor unto You, Thou Most High God. Thank you, Jesus, again for this opportunity you've given us this morning to enter into the presence of Almighty God. I am so blessed. We are such a blessed people to be able to come to you at any time and in any place to feel your presence, to hear your voice, to feel your touch, to spend time at your feet. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. What an awesome privilege we are afforded today to enter into your presence once again and to receive of you your good things. We give glory and honor unto the Most High God. We worship and we praise our Creator and our Savior today. Hallelujah, Jesus, for our needs, many and diverse. I pray, Lord Jesus, that You would meet each and every one of them miraculously and wondrously and gloriously according to Your perfect will. Minister, I pray, to these needs. You promised us in the Word of God that You would provide all of our needs for us if we would seek Your kingdom first. Help us to fulfill our responsibilities, Lord Jesus, so that You will bless, so that You will minister, so that You will strengthen and edify and promote. Hallelujah, Jesus! We desire the good things of God. We desire the blessings of God this morning. We desire a relationship with You, foremost, above all things else. We desire a close walk with You. Help us to receive that today, and to receive You and all that You have for us today. Let Your name be glorified in our midst. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you, we lord, and we magnify you. Thank you, Jesus, for your many benefits. Thank you, Jesus, for each and every blessing that we've received of you. We are a thankful people this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. He's worthy of worship, church. He's worthy of all praise. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We delight ourselves in You this morning, Thou Most High God. And we rejoice this morning in the God of our salvation. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. Amen. Praise God. He is worthy, church. Praise God. Amen. You can be seated this morning. We're going to be speaking uh, this morning on a uh, kind of a topic near and dear to my heart. It is near and dear to my heart. There are many topics that are. Uh, This one is in reference to our relationship with God. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 through 38, we find a dialogue between a lawyer and Jesus Christ. We pick up on that, that dialogue in verse 35. It says, Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him, referring to Jesus, a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. And this is how you are to love the Lord your God, with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Amen. I've entitled this lesson, The King is Dead, Long Live the King. There is one king that has to die so that another king can ascend the throne. We are to love God. What kind of love are we talking about? I mean in the United States and the Western Western culture, I mean we love all kinds of things, right? I love red meat. Dead and burnt. That's that's all I need. Uh kill it, fry it, I'm good. Let's eat. I love I love meat. I love hamburgers. I love steaks. I love meatloaf. Doesn't matter. Let's eat. I love my wife. Is that the same thing? <laughs> That's called taking stuff out of context. <laughs> That's how weird doctrines form. <clears throat> I love God. I love you guys. I love the color blue. It's the same word, but obviously it's got to mean something a little bit different in those those circumstances. So what do we mean when we say we love God? What does that look like? How is that demonstrated? I mean, how is that going to play out in our lives that I love God? I mean, I can say it all day long. I can say anything all day long, but is that actually the case? We are to love God with an exclusive love. Meaning we love Him above everything else. He's God. And that's it. Matthew 6.24 says, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And I would add, I think I don't do this any injustice, you cannot serve God and anything else. Or anyone else. We serve God, period. And that's it. We are to remain faithful to God. We talked about this last week. Faithful. Faith. Comes from the word fides, is where we get our word fidelity. We are to remain faithful. We have a covenant relationship with God, just like we do with our spouses. Faithful unto death. It's not okay for me, you'll confirm this, it's not okay for me to start seeing other women. But that's okay, though, because I love my wife. I love her. So it's okay. These other ones, they don't mean anything. That, 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 it's all kinds of wrong. doesn't matter. I'm in a relationship, a covenant relationship. That's not what faithful means. Yes, I love my wife. But I need to be faithful to my wife. A demonstration of my love is that I do remain faithful. I need to remain faithful to Jesus Christ. We are to love God with a surpassing love. Matthew 10, 37-39 says, "...He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross..." and followeth after me, is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. This is a hard saying, folks. And it's hard to apply to our lives. We understand intellectually the truth of it. We can amen it. But it's really hard to apply that to our lives. Especially as a new convert. You first get into church, a lot of times this is people's biggest obstacle, is family. It was my biggest obstacle. So what do you do? What do you do when you have to choose? You shouldn't have to make that choice. I agree, you shouldn't have to make that choice, but people do. People have to make this choice. Some of you have made this choice. So what choice do we make? We choose Jesus Christ. When a spouse decides to walk away, a child decides to walk away, what do you do? You've got to choose Jesus Christ. You've got to stay faithful to the covenant that you've made with Him, that He's made with you. Because we love him. What happens when we're asked to take up our cross and follow after him? Do you realize where Jesus is leading us? Do you you realize the path Jesus walked? His path led to a cross, folks. And he's asking us to follow him. What happens when he asks us to take up our cross? That's the time to reevaluate, and uh, maybe this isn't what I was expecting. Maybe I need to rethink this. Well, you should have counted the cost earlier, but this is not the time to reconsider. We choose Jesus Christ, we love Him more than anything else, we love Him more than our own lives. What happens when we're asked to choose between Jesus or death? People are making that choice today, folks, in the world. It may be, I pray not, but someday it may come to the United States. Well, we're asked to make that choice. Well, if Jesus really loved you, He wouldn't put you in that spot. These uh, soundbite criticisms that have no substance at all. If I love Jesus Christ, I'm willing to lay down my life for His cause, for His purpose, for His glory. Luke 14.26 says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Disciple is an interesting term. It's an interesting word. It's wrought with meaning, folks. Disciple is discipline. Disciple is forsaking my own way and seeking another. Disciple is dying to self. My own ambitions, my own dreams, my own personality, if necessary, to conform to someone else. Disciple. Discipline. There's nothing fun about that word. There's nothing pleasurable about that word unless you consider its end. The process itself, well, just look for something else if you're looking for a fun time. Discipline is not it. But discipline is necessary if we are to get where we need to be. Discipline is necessary if we are to obtain anything of value in this world, secular or spiritual. 1 John 2 and 5 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What does that mean? It means I can't love both. i got to choose. Here's that word again. I have to choose something. And I'm responsible for that choice. I choose the world or I choose Jesus Christ. I can't have both. I can't have one foot in each. People try it. It's a hard way to live, folks. You're not going to last long that way. You're going to slide one way or the other. Make the right choice. We are to love God with an obedient love. John 14, 21-24 says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, Not a Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And we will come unto Him and make our abode with Him. He that loveth Me not keepeth not My sayings. And the word which he hears is not Mine, but the Father's which sent Me. He says in another place, if you love Me, keep My commandments. We see it. it's, It's replete in the Old Testament. This correlation between loving God and obeying God. It's always, oftentimes, I'm not going to say always, I haven't done the research, but I wouldn't be surprised if it always is lumped together in the same verse. If you love me and keep my commandments, if you love me and do according to my commandments, then will I, etc. It's always lumped together. If you love me, you're going to obey me. You can say I love God all day long, but if you're not submitted to God, Jesus says you don't love Him. You may want to love Him. You may desire to love Him. You may want people to think you love Him. You may have convinced yourself that you love Him, but you don't unless you're submitted to Him. We have to love God with an obedient love. We have to love Him with a persevering love. James 1 and 12 says, "...Blessed is the man that endureth temptation." For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. First Peter 1, 6 and 9 says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, that's an interesting way to look at trials, isn't it? as being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom, though not now ye see Him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. It doesn't matter what we're going through or enduring. We love Jesus Christ. We love Him in spite of all of that because we understand something. We understand that these trials of our faith are much more precious to us than of gold that perisheth. And we've got to realize that, folks. We've got to consider that maybe I'm not looking at this properly. Maybe I'm not looking at this with God's eyes. I have got to see trials as being something good what does that mean about times of ease? Maybe I'm looking at that wrong too. Yeah. There you go. Until we get back into it. We are committed to loving God. It endures anything. Our love for Jesus Christ endures everything. It's greater than my temptations or trials. It's greater than my failures. It's greater than what i have to what i think i have to give up or or what i have to receive that i don't want it's greater than all of that hey folks maybe some of you realize this but marriage is hard work you guys you guys get that it's hard work it's worth it it's totally worth it but it's hard work we have discussions every once in a while about, you know, what's going to happen if if I pass early or what's going to happen if you pass early and are you going to get married again? I'm like I highly doubt it. I don't think I could do this again. I mean That's right. That's right. I don't know about her but Man, it took her a long time to get me where I'm at. It's I, I don't know how you could do that again. But our relationship with Jesus Christ, our covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, is work, folks. It's work on both sides. I have got to be active in this thing. I can't just sit back and let God do everything. I have got to take a part in this too. I understand what pleases God, so I've got to be about that business. I understand what displeases God. i got to stop doing those things. We just had a discussion this morning. I hate taking my shoes off at people's places. I don't like doing it. I do it because I want to respect the, the homeowner. Okay, And that's fine. I I'm not going to die. I'm fine doing that. But at my house, I don't like doing that. But I need to do that because my wife likes that. I promise you. If she didn't care, I'd leave, my, I'd leave him on all day long. Walk all over the carpet. I would. Sometimes I still do. That's why she's looking at me like that. <laughs> I'm trying to get better. Not perfect. Trying to get better. But I know it pleases her. And so that's why I, I try to do that. If she didn't care, I wouldn't do it. There are things that please God, folks. And maybe you're predisposed to those things and maybe it's a real struggle for you. But it pleases God. So just do it. Who cares? You're not going to die. Just do the things that please God. This relationship between you and Him will be a whole lot easier. We are committed to this relationship. It endures everything. To love God like this is to declare Him my sovereign. And again, That's a word that's wrought with meaning, a lot of which we don't really understand here in the Western culture. We love democracy. We love individual freedoms. And and I do, too. I think we have in, in history, all through history, I think this is the best form of government that's ever come to be. Is it perfect? Of course it's not. Of course not. Nobody thinks that. But I think it's still the best form of government we've been able to come up with. So we don't really understand the idea of a sovereign. Someone with absolute power. Someone with absolute authority. If God is my sovereign, He's not my elected representative. He's my king. He's my Lord and God. If that's the case, then I am committed to glorifying Him. I'm committed to advancing His interests. I'm committed to proclaiming His truths, His message, to building His kingdom. And it doesn't matter if that happens by my life or by my death. it ought not matter to me how it happens. If He's my sovereign, He can order me to die. He can order me to the front lines where I'm going to perish. He can keep me in the rear. He can do what He wants with me. Because I'm His. I'm submitted to Him. He is my sovereign Lord and God. And I'm fine with that. I'm okay with that. Because I love Him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love Him this way requires me to love Him with all my being. And this is what I mean when I say Christianity isn't just one aspect of who I am. I'm an employee. I'm a husband. I'm a I'm a father. I'm a Christian. I'm a citizen. I'm this. I'm that. I got all kinds of hats. But at the center of all of that is me. I'm at the center of all of that. That's not how this works. God is at the center of all of this. When God through Moses organized the camp of Israel in the wilderness, who is at the center of that? Moses? No. God was at the center of that. God has got to be at the center of our lives. And everything else revolves around that. That's what it means by loving God with everything, with all of us. Everything we do, every decision we make, every choice we make, every, everything that comes into our lives is filtered and it's, it's, it's guided by that one thing. I'm a child of God. God is my sovereign. What does God want? Where does God want me to go? What, what choice does God want me to make here? I'm submitted to His will in everything. Where does God want me to live? What job does God want me to have? God can lead us in those areas too. But everything in my life is submitted to the will and plan of God. It's got to be that way. He's the center, not me. If I'm the center, and I love someone with all my heart, but it ain't God, it's me. He's got to be king in two areas. He's got to be king of my heart. And this gets into free moral agency again. The heart in this aspect is not emotion. It's the center of our will, center of our moral activities. We don't love God with our emotions, folks. We enjoy emotions. We do. We get emotional. I get into the presence of God. Sometimes I get weepy. Sometimes I get happy. I enjoy that. But that's not how I love God. Love is not an emotion, folks. It's not, it's an act of the will, it's a choice. I don't love God with my emotions. I love God with my will. Love is an act of the will. Joshua 24 and 15 says, If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. It's our choice. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but as for me and my house, we will, will serve the Lord. Joshua is choosing the Lord via an act of his will, not because he felt good, not because he's got all Holy Ghost goosebumps, although I love Holy Ghost goosebumps, it was an act of the will. John 7:17 7, says, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or, or whether I speak of myself. These are just demonstrations that God is expecting us to exercise our free moral agency to His end. John 1:12 and 13 says, As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. As many as received Him. They made a choice to do that. Revelation 3 and 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. And he's going to just stand there until someone opens the door. Could he bust it down? I think he could. I think he's got enough power in that, that right arm of his to knock it slap down. But he doesn't. He won't. He's going to sit there and knock politely and wait for you to open the door, to make a choice. Deuteronomy 3, I'm sorry, Revelation 3 and... I already read that. Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20. <laughs> Don't second guess yourself. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey His voice. There it is again. Love and obedience. And that thou mayest cleave unto Him, for He is thy life, and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give Him. I want to bless you. I want to multiply blessings upon you. But you've got to make a choice. you got to choose me if you'll just choose me, if you'll choose life, this is what I'm going to add to you. When we choose God, folks, we lose Him to pour into our life blessing. When we don't choose Him, when we choose us, that's really what it boils down to at the end of the day. We bind Him something He wants to do, now He can't because of your exercising free moral agency. And again, free choice is the most powerful force in the universe. God is the most powerful force, but He has bound Himself in this area that He will not override your free moral agency. In all of creation, only you have the ability to tell God no. That can be used for good or bad. This awesome level of authority and power. Yes, we can tell God no. We can also tell Satan no. We can tell our flesh no. Amen. As born-again Christians as covenant believers, as children of God, we have power and we have authority to say no to our flesh, to say no to the enemy, to say no to the world system, and choose to submit ourselves unto the Lord our God. We are completely free to do that. Nobody makes you do anything. Nobody makes you get upset. Nobody makes you throw that glass against the the wall. Nobody makes you say the words that you're so desperately wanting to take back. You chose to say those things. You chose to do those things. Maybe it's the heat of the moment. Maybe your emotions got the better of you. But even then, folks, no. You are responsible for that. That choice that you just made. With awesome power comes awesome responsibility. We have the most awesome power in the universe to choose. But with that power comes responsibility. Only you, only me are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to give an account for every choice that we made. I think even though we have that awesome power, we need to realize who gave us that awesome power. We have that awesome power by the will of God. And so, it behooves us then to exercise that power in accordance with the will of God. To submit our wills to the will of God. Amen. We see plenty of examples in Scripture where people have abused that authority. We talked about the prodigal son. He made a choice, didn't he? Very poor choice, in my humble opinion. Give me my inheritance. I want to go live. And he did. He got the money, and he went, and he had a good time. However long that was, maybe it was a few years. But then what? Then the consequences of his choice started to manifest themselves. He made a choice. And now he has the responsibility to measure up to the the consequences of that. And then after that, he made another choice, didn't he? I will go unto my Father. I will say unto him. He didn't have to. No one put a gun to his head. No guns at the time. No one put a sword to his throat. throat) He did that on his own. He made that choice himself. So we see both a negative and a positive example there. But in any case, whatever consequences come of the choice, those are ours to bear, whether they be good or whether they be evil. But the consequences are ours because the choice was ours. Don't weep and cry and moan and complain when you get bad consequences for a bad choice. I have a hard time When people do that, especially when you've told them, this is a bad idea, don't do this, this is what's going to happen. They do it anyway, and this is what happens. And then they're all weepy and, oh, you have no idea what I'm going through right now. Well... There are many ways to learn lessons, aren't there? We need to exercise our free moral agency in accordance with the will of God. Because we love God. Amen. I need to love Him with all of my mind. With my understanding. He needs to be king of my thoughts. Proverbs 3.13 says, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. Proverbs 19 and 8 says, He that getteth wisdom loveth his own soul. He that keepeth understanding shall find good. Romans 1.20 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Colossians 3 and 2 says, Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all thy law. All that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Deep Christian affection and devotion is necessarily and inexorably tied to biblical truths that we believe with all of our mind. I'm going to say that again. Deep Christian affection and devotion is necessarily and inexorably tied to biblical truths that you believe with all of your mind. If you don't believe it, if you don't buy it, it's not going to move you. Our worship experiences with all the emotion, passion, zeal, etc., they are the results from acknowledging the truth being proclaimed during the worship. Nothing moves me more than the old hymns. I like the music to these new songs. I do. I I enjoy that. I'll worship with that. I'll feel the presence of God. But nothing moves me quite more than these old hymns do. Why? Because these old hymns, the words to these old hymns are so much more meaningful. seems like every song today is Jesus loves you that's really about it. I'm thankful He loves me. Don't get me wrong. I am thankful. We need to receive the love of God. But there's a whole lot more to God than than just that. I mean, I, I like singing about the blood. I like singing about the cross. I like singing about those things too. When our worship is separated, or worse, devoid of truth, and we rely on an external artificial hype session, we're going to find ourselves ultimately unsatisfied and empty. And that is one problem I have, have had for a long time, with some of our worship services. There are churches, and it's never going to be here as long as I'm pastoring here, they'll darken everything, put smoke machines up, Big lights and, and flashy stuff and and they have a concert every every Sunday morning. No sir, no ma'am. That's not worship to me. That's a rock concert to me. I don't need all of that to feel the presence of God. I don't know I don't know what that is. I don't know why it's in our churches. I don't. I would rather, i tell you what, I would have a much better worship experience when some elder gets up, out of key, out of tune, out of beat, but he's anointed, he loves God, and he's singing an old song, singing truth. I'll feel the presence of God a whole lot better. I'll worship a whole lot better with that. I'm not saying we're going to do that either, but (laughs) I could do that on my own. I don't need anyone to do that. I could sing off-key and off-beat. But uh, I would prefer that. I would prefer someone proclaiming truth in the worship service. They're tied together, folks. They're tied together. My understanding and my emotions come together in a worship service. To heighten my worship experience then, I've got to deepen my understanding of truth. The more truth I've received, the more truth I understand and act upon, I promise you, that individual is going to worship a whole lot deeper than the person who has a superficial understanding of truth and are just in it for the the presence of God and and the good feels. Nothing wrong with good feels. I'm not preaching against that. But if that's all you've got, In a worship service, you're missing. You're missing the best part of it. That's not worship to me. It's just like praying. Sometimes when I pray, I really feel the presence of God, and I enjoy that. Sometimes when I pray, it's dead in the water. There's nothing there. But a lot of times, that prayer session is most effectual. I can't gauge my prayer session by how close I feel to God. I can't gauge the worship service necessarily by how goosebumpy I get. I'm not worshiping God for my experience, I'm worshiping God because He's worthy of it. Because I love Him and want to please Him. That's why I worship. Some people love to to worship uh, demonstrably. I don't. I've never been demonstrative, even in the world. People say, well, you know, you dance for the devil, you can dance for Jesus. I agree. I never danced for the devil either. Not a chance. You'd never see me on that dance floor. Not once. Not ever. No sir, no ma'am, no how. Mm -mm. I'm not getting out there for song or pity's sake. Nope. I don't do dance. If you saw me dance, I'm telling you, you'd call the ambulance. You would. He's having a (laughs) seizure. And (laughs) it would just be a distraction. But some people, some people, they, they dance. They dance before the Lord. And I get blessed from that. It really is a worship for them to dance before the Lord. And there are others, they're dancing a jig, that they probably dance Saturday night at the bar. That doesn't do anything for me. But there are people I know they're worshiping. I can feel it in the Spirit, and that blesses me. There's something deeper in worship, folks, than than just saying words, than just dancing or shouting or or jumping. Now, having said that, my pastor always said, going through the motions will bring on the emotions. I think there's something to that, too. How we posture our body in worship uh, helps us to move into a deeper realm of worship. I think that's true. But if all I'm after is the experience from what I can feel, what I can get, I'm missing it. I am completely missing the purpose of worship. I worship God because He's worthy and because it pleases Him, and I love Him. That's why I worship. Whatever I get from that, that's what I get. I'm not in it for that. I'm in it for Him. I want Him to experience something. I want Him to be ministered to. I want Him to to smell a sweet-smelling savor. Of my worship. We worship with our minds as well as our hearts. The words to our worship songs are important. We should be paying attention to what we sing. I believe that. I absolutely believe that. And I do. If a song comes up and I don't believe it, I don't sing it. I'll I'll just worship on my own. I'm not going to sing about three and one. I'm not going to sing about the Holy Trinity. Something else comes up there <laughs> that I don't agree with? I'm not singing it. I'm not going to say it. When what we know begins to be felt in our heart, that's when we begin to love God with all of our mind. When what we know begins to be felt in our heart, we're loving God with all of our mind. God wants to be understood and known as well as experienced and felt. I found this quote uh, by a man named John Piper. Some of you may have read some of his stuff. He's a rather prolific writer. He says this, and I quote, I think TV and movies and most of the media hurts us, one, by its ignorance and apathy toward God, and two, by its triviality. So it's not only leaving out the one reality for which we're created, namely God, it's also constantly shrinking our souls down to the most silly kinds of thinking, so that the capacity for knowing God is being reduced. He's not just taken out of the picture. The capacity to appreciate something great like God is being shrunk down because of the absolute silliness of most of the entertainment people give themselves to. Unquote. I appreciate this, and this is why. In our culture as a whole, it's kind of taboo to be smart. It's kind of taboo to be a reader or a thinker. And I'm saying to this church, not at all. We need to know how to think. We need to know how to learn and to grow. That's God's purpose for us. Certainly, with the Bible, first and foremost, we need to be students of Scripture. And that means we need to apply ourselves to know how to learn, to know how to think. God gave us these brains, folks. He wants us to use them for His glory, for His purpose. But He wants us to use them. We are not to check our brains at the door. Now, to the extent my thinking contradicts with Scripture, yeah, I need to check that. There are some rules. I need to submit my mind to the obedience of Christ. Every thought needs to come into the obedience of Christ. Etc, etc. We can go over those too. I don't have time. But the point is when properly submitted to Jesus Christ, we need to exercise our faculties to think and to know and to learn and to understand. That's God's purpose. God wants to be known. He wants to be understood, not in His totality. We don't have the tools for that. But to the extent He's revealed Himself to us, He wants us to know Him in that manner. To the extent He's revealed Himself to us in creation, in Scripture, more importantly, He wants us to understand Him and to know Him in that capacity. And when I sit back and say, well, <laughs> uh, I'm just a dumb hick. I, I, that's, that's way above me, all that theology stuff. Do you know what theology means, literally? Knowledge of God. To know God. Now, who did God create to know Him? Just the smart people, right? Just the intellectuals. Just the theologians. No, He created you to know Him. Everybody is expected to know Him. God wants everyone to know Him. And we know Him with this first. And then it gets down to here. But to say that I just have faith. I'm just, I'm just going to believe. Well, good. Why do you believe? I'll tell you why. Because you're persuaded of some things. There are reasons that you believe. Enough on that. We must not lose our ability to think, to reason, to understand. These are the faculties God gave us to know Him. Now, having said that, we've got to remember also that there are some things about God, some things how He operates, some choices He makes that we're just never going to understand. Not down here. And I've got to admit, folks, I just came to this, the fullness of this realization a couple weeks ago. That was a hard lesson for me. I'll go more into that in a moment. Deuteronomy 30, this is an example of what I'm talking about. Deuteronomy 32 and 4 says, He's the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is he. I think we'd all say amen to that. God of truth, without iniquity, just and right is He. He is the epitome, he is the, He's the standard of righteousness and holiness. But then we read something like Proverbs sixteen four, The Lord hath made all things for Himself, yea, even the wicked, for the day of evil. Well, what does that mean? Well, how about this one? 1 Kings 22, 20-23. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab? that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead. And one said, On this manner, another said, On that manner. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, This is God. Thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning thee. And this is, this is kind of one example of what I'm talking about. How do I reconcile these? And here's the question I always come back to. I've mentioned it several times already here. If God is perfectly loving and God is all-powerful, why is there evil in the world? Now, that's just, a, that's just an intellectual, philosophical question. Let's bring it down to street level. My five-year-old child has leukemia. And she's suffering in an ICU ward right now. She's been suffering for years. If God loves that child, why is He allowing this to happen? That brings it a little closer to home. Is that a valid question? Philosophers, theologians, church leaders have been struggling with this question for centuries. Millennia. Largely, it comes down to free choice. But see, here's the thing. There's another answer to that that I've just been made aware of. And I really struggled with this because, see, I thought, and I really did think this, I don't know why in retrospect, but I've, I've moved forward as if this were the case. I don't think I'd have came out and said it, but it was true of me nonetheless. If I just apply myself hard enough, if I just, if I just study if I just learn how to learn, if I just if I if I build myself up, if I read, if I if I get counsel from elders, if I if I do what I, everything I can do, I will understand this. I will understand this aspect of God. And folks, I really want to know God. I really want to know God. I want to know him as much as I can. That's a passion of mine. I love Him. That's why I do all this creation stuff. Because it gives me a glimpse into the mind of God. That's all. That's why I study Scripture. First and foremost, it it gives me a glimpse into the character of God. Because I want to know Him. I want to be like Him. So if I'm not understanding something i I just need to pray a little bit more I need to study a little bit longer i need to i need to get some more resources but I was listening to a guy and he gave this example you know uh when his his child was small five six seven years old uh he had an accident and uh his arm was broken and uh so he went in and uh it had to be set you know it had to put a cast on all that stuff and it hurt like crazy it really hurt he got banged up his his face was banged up so they had to they had to put stitches on his face and uh i mean he, he was very small and he tried to explain it to him but He's he's a small child. All he knew is he was in pain. He couldn't understand the reason for it. The doctor's fixing him up. This is going to help him get better. But he couldn't understand that. He didn't have the tools at the time. He didn't have the, the facilities to be able to understand something like that. And so he poses this question. What if God has a purpose for evil that you don't understand right now? And i got to admit, that hurt the day my omniscience died. That was tough. And I didn't even realize it. Well, one reason I bring this up is not to tell you what's going on in my life, but to say that, you know, there are things in us that we're not even aware of. And what a blessing it is when God brings that to the forefront, reveals it to us, and then deals with it. Because at the end of the day, isn't that what we want? That's what I want. I want to be Christ-like. I see things about me. I know me better than well anyone other than God. And there's a lot in there to not like. Those are the things God is going to deal with and, and transform and change so that they start looking like Him. And I love it when that happens. I love it. At the end of it. Sometimes it's not easy. But let God do that with you as well. Let Him show you things about you. Let Him draw that out. Expose it to the light of truth. And then deal with it. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. But you got to deal with it. I'm running out of time. Alright. He's God and He's altogether Sovereign. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, I've read this a bunch of times, but now it's finally clicking to me. Hey, I think what that means is, His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Wow! Wow! I love it when God reveals truth to me. Amen. He's God and He's altogether sovereign. He's got to be sovereign. Romans nine seventeen through 22 I think we'll close with this. For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will, he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor, and another unto dishonor? <clears throat> what if God, willing to sow his wrath, and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath, Fitted to destruction. There's a lot in there. My point is this. He's God. He can do whatever He wants to do, when He wants to do it. And it's up to me to trust in His character. That's why I need to know God in the first place. And so I can trust Him. I know what He is. I know what He represents. I know who He is. I know what His characteristics are. And so when these things do happen, When Job says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. How can I trust in the man that just killed me in cold blood? I can trust in him. Even if he allows me to die. Even if he puts me in a place where I have to choose death. I trust in him. Because it's for the ultimate good. Because that's who God is. It may seem wrong for God to do. But I'm not going to sit myself in judgment over God. And that is literally what I'm doing when I start saying that's wrong for God to do. Now, you can choose to do that. You can make any choice you want. But if you make that choice, just understand. You're choosing to set yourself in judgment over God. When you start looking at Scripture and saying, well, I don't really accept that, you can do that, but just understand, you're setting yourself in judgment of the Word of God. Now you are the arbiter of truth and not the Word of God. All right. Let's all stand. Ultimately, of course, uh, we need God's help to love him. We need God's help to acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. We love God because he first loved us. Amen. He's the one that puts a new spirit in us, he's the one that transforms our minds, he's the one that puts a new heart in us. Amen. At the end of the day, it's by the mercies of God that we can choose God and that we can love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. I worship and I praise You. I thank You. I thank You that You have done this, that You have transformed us, that You have brought us into conformity to Scripture to the extent that we are. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would continue to follow that path, the path that You have laid out for us to Christlikeness. Bless the remainder of our service. Let Your name be glorified here. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.